It's Psalm 19. So, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out his speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day. Just uh, thank you for all the people that you've brought here today. I thank you for um, just uh, letting us hear from your um, servant today. Just uh, let us hear as a share from your word, I pray. In your name, amen. Thank you, Montana, for reading for us today. We're glad to have both you and Jaden back with us. So it's great to have them. Both of them um, served uh, together with us on Friday for the uh, Light Up the Holiday Parade. So they not only got back, but they also jumped in and served. So we definitely appreciate that. And all of those who served with us on Friday, thank you so much. Um, the coordinators of the event, both Lauren and Richard, want me to make sure to say not just thank you for this event, but thank you for all the events that we've helped in throughout this year. So thank you so much for all of you who've been involved in our extended ministry this year. Um, we look forward to what God will do through it and hopefully uh, be able to serve again next year. Um, and maybe, uh, maybe if you haven't been involved uh, physically, but uh, you've been praying for these events, uh, maybe God would allow you to uh, be involved physically next year or continue to pray. Like prayer is not just a secondary thing here for us. Uh, the second thing I want to say is uh, thank you so much to all of you who gave for Operation Christmas Child. So our goal this year was 50 boxes, and we, were, we uh, sent out 56 boxes. So we were six over. So good job, everybody. So great job on that. Thank you so much for uh, your generosity and giving towards that. Uh, and then uh, last week, uh, I got an email during the week from Keith regarding uh, Give for Gastoni. And he said, we are, by, by last Sunday's giving, we were only short $25 for what we need to raise to sponsor him. So hopefully today we've uh, accomplished that goal. You'll, you'll have to come back next week to find out. <laughs> I'll leave that little cliffhanger there for you. Um, so, but thank you for uh, doing that, for giving towards that. I know kids in your classes, you've been giving towards that, so thank you so much for that. Um, I feel like I have lots of announcements like before I even get to the text, but we will be having our events tonight, so if you're coming to the uh, children's training, um, that will be going on tonight as well. That starts at 2, um, so everybody has to go through that training to be able to serve next year, so uh, this is the uh, third one and the last one that we offer, so... Um, if you plan to attend but haven't signed up, please let me know after the service today. But that will be at 2. Snow's not coming until like 10, so we should be good. I mean, I'm not, I'm not God. I'm not omniscient. So, but from what I see, snow's not coming until then. So we'll have our training, and then following that, we'll have our prayer and praise. So hopefully you'll come out for that as well as we uh, pray for one another, as we pray for uh, those that uh, we are seeking to share the gospel with. And then uh, this Sunday... We did it in July, but uh, this Sunday night we're going to be praying again for different churches um, in the area and those that we're connected with. Um, so saying that, it's good to have Ryan McCammick and his family here with us. Most of you know him. He served here for uh, over 10 years as a pastor, and so it's, we're glad to have him. So make sure you connect uh, with him following the service. 
um, and uh, I'm sure he'll love to give you uh, some updates and, and everything about what's going on there at Gospel Grace Church in Atlanta, Georgia. But before we um, go into uh, the Word today, would you join me in prayer? Father, we are so thankful for your word, and this morning as we come to this chapter in particular and we see the emphasis the psalmist here gives to us on the, the goodness of your word and the, 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 the help that it can be, but and more than that, the necessity that it is to us, Lord, I pray that we would embrace your word with open arms. And we ask that you would... Uh, open our eyes that we may see the glories that await here. And may we, like the psalmist, having looked into your word today, find it more desirable than gold, more, than, more uh, sweeter than the honey that drips from the honeycomb. Or may it be a delight to us today. Lord, we, we ask that you would use your word to draw us to you. And Lord, we don't pray that just for ourselves, but we pray that for gospel grace as they meet today. And as Ryan is here and yet others are, 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 are preaching and serving there and feeding the flock, Lord, may, may there be a, a, a faithful presentation of your word and may the people delight in the word that is presented to them. Lord, may they find it satisfying to them and may they see the necessity of it in their lives. May they see how it must it must. Uh, change and alter each one of us to be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, not only that, but we pray for New Life Church in Lubumbashi, as, as Seth, Curtis, and, and the leadership there have already met, and yet they continue to, to uh, have discipleship and, and other things throughout the day. Lord, may, may that meeting have been good, and may it have worked in the hearts and lives of their people. May, may we continue to see growth in this new fledgling church there in Lubumbashi. Lord, may, may, they, uh, may they continue to be a light for the gospel in a very dark, dark place. Lord, we do ask your blessing today, not just on us, but on all those who are meeting, that are preaching your word faithfully, that seek to exalt your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be fed, may we be fed well, and may we leave from here ready to serve in Jesus' name. So this is our concluding sermon in the Psalms for this year, um, and uh, the last two Psalms have taught us how to pray and how to praise. The, the psalmist had written on prayer in Psalm uh, 17, and the psalmist had written on praise in Psalm 18, and Israel had collected these Psalms and placed them in the Psalter uh, partly as a means to train God's people on how to pray and how to praise. Then we come here to um, Psalm 19, one that's described by C.S. Lewis as probably the greatest poetry ever known. I don't know if you can know that, but it is from God, so it has to be pretty good. Um, Spurgeon also thought very highly of uh, this psalm and the poetry that is in it. And uh, as we come to this psalm, we can see how this psalm proclaims the virtues of God's revelation. Specifically, the delight God's people can find in this revelation. In fact, if you read through this psalm, you'd see that it was broken down into two parts, and we're going to break them into two parts today. But the first uh, six verses really declares um, the virtues of God's revelation through creation. And the second uh, set of verses, verse 7 through 14, declare the virtues of God's revelation through His Word, through His law, and, and the words that He's given to His people. And what's interesting is, as you get to the, 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 the virtues of the law, there's this parallel, parallelism that goes on in this passage. Yet, it, when you get to verse 10, the psalmist just breaks his parallelism breaks the kind of the meter of the poetry for a second and declares something glorious and good about God's word. And it's really where I get this understanding of, of what is driving the psalmist here is that God's people would delight in God through his revelation. 
As we look at verse 10, he says, This is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And, and the driving force of David here in this psalm is that God's people would understand the delight we are meant to find in him through his revelation. So that is my main por- point this morning. God gives his revelation so that we might delight in him. God gives his revelation so that we might delight in him. So this morning we're going to look at two parts of that. And the first one is this, delighting in the God of creation. So Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, delighting in the God of creation. Now, throughout the history of the church, uh, they have understood God's revelation, specifically through creation, as the general revelation of God that is given to every person. It is something that God has chosen to reveal himself through. It is through nature that God has chosen to demonstrate who he is in certain ways. As Grudem puts it, general revelation is the knowledge of God's existence, character, and moral law that comes through creation to all humanity. And in verse 1, David gives us the purpose of general revelation. Look down there in verse 1 of chapter 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. The purpose of general revelation, the purpose of God revealing himself through his creation, through nature, is so that his glory might be evidenced. This is not specifically any moral quality, so to speak. It doesn't define his love or his justice. We'll see that God God uses special revelation to describe that, but rather it is to demonstrate that a great God exists. His glory is evidence. There is something greater than ourselves and greater than the nature that we have around us. But not only that, we see the sky above, he says, proclaims his handiwork. This is the display of God's power and God's wisdom and God's skill. He is a a wise, powerful, skilled architect in how he has designed this world. It didn't just come to be on its own. Rather, it demonstrates that there is a designer. There is a thought behind how things work. There is, there is a skilled carpenter who has put together this world in such a way so that it works. You know, some scientists who have denied God are amazed that the earth of all these planets in our solar system would have the capacity to hold life just by chance that we're just the right distance from the sun so that we are just warm enough but just cold enough and things like this Uh, and yet missing the point that things like this don't happen just by chance they're designed it's designed this way in in, in fact um, there's a recent study uh, done uh, by uh, children of atheists. He's had to do a, a study by, uh, of children of atheists. And they asked the question, you know, did the world just come to be? And these children of atheists were like, no. <laughs> it, didn't just come, it didn't just come to be. They, they had rejected evolutionary theory as little, little children. You know, these are six-year-olds or whatever. Of course someone had to have made it naturally it seems that even little children raised in an atheistic home understand that it doesn't make sense that something would not have a maker or a designer. Like none of these pews just happen by chance. Now you may think that the designer didn't design them as comfortably as they should have, but they didn't come about by chance. Someone designed them. Someone made them. And it it makes sense that we look at the world and we see this very thing as well. And the psalmist here, he's not trying to go into every scientific detail and, and rebut every single argument. What he says is just naturally, as we look at the skies, we see the glory of God. As we look up at the heavens, we see the power and the wisdom and the skill of some great creator that has created it. 
And in one sense, the psalmist is just assuming that there's no way to deny the fact that everyone can see this and everyone should accept this. And we get this from Romans 1 where Paul says, why are, why are men without excuse? Because nature itself proclaims that God exists and that He is powerful. There's some ways that general revelation is meant to work, and so the psalmist gives us three of these. And the first thing he says is that general revelation works all the time. He says here in verse 2 that day to day it pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. The fact is, the glory of general revelation is that it is constantly, consistently presenting the truth of the God who created it. Every day as we wake up and we breathe new breath, every day as we look at what God has created, we are confronted with with the challenge of general revelation to the, the fact that God exists and that that the God who exists is powerful, wise, and skillful. So all the time it is working. But not only that, there's plenty of it. It says, the psalmist goes on to say, day to day it pours out speech. It is continually, continually giving it, but there's plenty of it. Every part of creation pours out speech. It's not like we say, well, well, the psalmist just talked about the sky, so that's all that there is that is really speaking to us. No, there's, it's everywhere around us. You look at the person next to you, and that declares to you that a great designer has created us. Now, I mean, you may know the person next to you, and you may be wondering a little bit about them, but the created aspect of them is it came from a great designer with great skill. Everyone in this room is declaring the glory of God and His power and wisdom and skill. But not only that, all the different things in this room. Now you may say, well, he didn't, he didn't actually create the pew. Yeah, but he created all the material that was put together to make the pew. Like all these things are speaking to this. There's just, it is all around us. Step outside, feel the rain. It's declaring the glory and goodness of God. He is the one who sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You may not always like it, but he is the one at work. He is the one. There's plenty of it. And the more one looks at creation, the more it speaks of a creator. But thirdly, it's also known everywhere. You see in verse 3, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice, creation's voice, general revelation's voice, goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man running its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the ends of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. General revelation is known everywhere. No one is exempt from experiencing the revelation that comes from God's creation. Not one person. There's not one person who is not speaking the language. That's what he's saying here. Because creation speaks not in a language, but rather through the representation with the Son here as the example. The Son is the example here that demonstrates that that all of us experience this reality. All across this globe, everyone sees the Son. Everyone experiences it. In fact, he affirms it by the very last line in verse 6. Nothing is hidden from its heat, from its benefit, from, from its presence. It is always there. It is known everywhere. The problem we have is that no one has actually followed up on general revelation to seek the one true God. Again, this is what Romans 1 tells us. And let's turn over there to Romans chapter 1 for a moment.
Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, the fact that He exists as God and that He demonstrates His power over what He's created, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Notice what it says next. For although they knew God, They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things, and therefore God gave them up. The fact is we can read that and say them a lot, but what is true, each one of us has started in that position. Each one of us has started with the gift of general revelation revealed to us, and yet the suppression of that truth, a rejection of the God revealed in general revelation. What we were meant to do, what we were meant to do since our creation, man's creation, was to delight in the God of creation. And in fact, all this is given to us so that we may delight in the God of creation. But unfortunately, what we have done is we have suppressed that truth and we have turned and we have delighted in something else. Did you hear that in Romans 1? That they turn from God to other things to statues and to other, uh, other created things like birds and beasts and all these different things. Some people even worship the very example that David gives us here that shows the glory of God, which is the sun. We have suppressed the truth. We have rejected Him. And the delight that started in Adam as he was created in the Garden of Eden meant to delight in all of God's creation, to take part in it, to care for it, to to name the animals and therefore be an authority over them. And yet what do we see? That because of sin, that delight is broken. But not just the delight, the ability to even recognize this truth and to pursue God through His general revelation has been broken. And we do not do it. Rather, we suppress that truth. leaves us in a difficult place before God. How do we who are blind to His glory follow up, because of our sin, follow up on God's general revelation and find ourselves seeking after God? Paul says we can't on our own. We can't in our own effort. We won't do it. Which brings us to Our psalmist here's second point, delighting in the God of the Scriptures. Here, David presents for us special revelation. It's what has been called historically in the church, while the revelation from creation has been called general revelation because all have it. It's available to all. And what we have is special revelation, which is God's words addressed to specific people including the words of the Bible. And uh, that is meant to distinguish itself from general revelation, which was given to all people generally. The purpose of special revelation, I believe, is found in David's conclusion here. Verse 12, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Those truths there do not flow from general revelation. Those truths only flow from God's special revelation to us, specifically through His Scripture. There is no way 
to be found innocent of sins or to have those sins be dealt with so that we might be blameless apart from God's special revelation. Nor is there a way to live acceptable in God's sight apart from special revelation. Nor is there a way to claim the Lord God as your rock and your redeemer apart from special revelation. It cannot happen. Because men are sinful and they do not seek after God. And therefore, God in turn sought after them. Not just them, but us as well. And one of the things that is interesting about this psalm is the fact that there is a change in the usage of the name of God from verses 1 through 6 to verses 7 through 14. In verses 1 through 6, um, the, the psalmist here uses the more generic term, El. For God. It's, it's the term that is used in Genesis when talking about God creating the earth. Um, it is often attached to other, uh, other aspects of the word like Elohim, um, but it's just a general term for God. Um, there's not necessarily an indication about this God being the God of Israel or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is just the general term in Hebrew for God. But once once he begins to talk about special revelation, verse 7, he changes the name. He begins to use the name Jehovah. Or as you see in your Bible there, it's Lord in all caps. And this is the name that God himself tells Moses to give to his people. This is the I am who I am. This is the covenant name that God has given. And there's... there's a, there, there's some significance to this shift. Whereas general revelation, we can just know general things about him. Through special revelation, we can actually know who he is and how he relates to us. What is the point of telling Moses his name to tell the people other than for them to know who he is personally and how he will work for them? And it is through this special revelation that he claims Israel as his people. And he brings them out of Egypt. He saves them. It is through his covenant name. And it is through the covenants that he promises that he claims for himself Abraham. And he claims for himself Isaac. And he claims for himself Jacob. It is through this covenant name that David affirms that he has a part in the covenants that were given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That he himself, David himself, has a place in, in, in relationship with God because of not what he's done, not what David's done, but what God has done for him. It is through this special revelation that God declares that those who have faith in His promises, in His covenants, ultimately that, that culminates in Jesus Christ coming to fulfill all through His death and resurrection. Those who have faith, their faith is counted for righteousness. And so through the special revelation, we can see God's God's reaching down to man when man could not reach up to him. And that trusting in this promises that while we were still, we, we, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He paid the price for our sin. He gives us his righteousness. He rises from the dead to declare his victory over sin and death and the victory for all those who are in him. The psalmist views God's words as something, therefore, that should be precious to us, but also words that should be obeyed. Notice how he describes them. They are laws and testimonies and precepts and rules and commandments. The word of God is authoritative and inerrant 
and absolutely binding upon his people. But it is not in the keeping of the word that we are saved, but rather we keep the word because we have been saved. David pursues this because God has made him part of his covenant people through faith in God's promises. So how do these laws then work? How does this scripture that God has given us, this special revelation, how does it work? Just like with general revelation here, the psalmist gives us a number of ways in which we should expect the word to work. And he starts with this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Here he's saying that it is wholly complete. It is not deficient in any way. And therefore, because it is wholly complete, it's perfect, it can bring true life in every area of our life. Now this is definitely true of conversion. It is through the word preached to us that we hear of God's promises and of His saving grace that's given to us in Christ Jesus. And if we would but trust in Him, we would be saved. And it's true of conversion that it is the word that brings life to us but it is still true of the rest of our life as well. This is a sure foundation upon which we can build our lives because it is not deficient in any way. You want to trust your own reasoning? Go ahead. We'll see how that works. But I will guarantee that your wisdom and your reasoning and your logic is not uh, wholly complete that there are some grand deficiencies. And why can I say that with such authority? Because I know my own as well. And I know that the Word of God describes to us that. The very thing, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. What is the way that leads to hope and joy and peace and righteousness? It is not our own way. It is not the way that we determine, but it's God's way. His Word is perfect. And it is what revives us. It is what brings life to every part of us. But not only that, we see secondly here, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Not only does it revive us, but it also teaches us. He says here, it is sure. It is trustworthy. It is solid. And therefore, it makes wise the simple. The following God's word, even though it may make no sense to us. Following God's word, even though it seems, um, it seems to go against everything we maybe grew up learning or maybe the culture has taught us or whatever. Following God's word puts you in the category of the wise. It makes simple people like me, like you, wise. If we listen to the God of creation who is speaking to us. Not following God's word, even though it makes all the sense in the world to you to not follow God's word. Puts you in the category of a fool. A fool thinks thinks they, with their insufficient knowledge of everything, is more trustworthy than the God who knows everything. Who tells us what we should do? God's word is meant to teach us, and therefore we are meant to be learners. We are meant to sit under it. It makes us wise. But not only that, we see number three the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Right here is straight as opposed to being crooked. It is it is what is known to be right. It's kind of like, you know, uh, you're driving with your spouse. And they're like, you need to turn right here, or you need to turn left, whichever way it is. And you're like, no, I'm just going to go straight. But I know that's the right way. Like, and she does. She knows that's the right way. And uh, I don't always listen. So that's, that's going the wrong, and then I end up taking a very crooked path to get where I want to go. One that usually takes more time, and I have to go around, and um, this is the right way to go. This is the way that you should be on. And what does it tell us? That, that as we understand that the Lord's ways are the right ways, let's say rejoicing, the joy, that walking straight along God's path brings joy. 
It leads to joy. We're talking about driving. And I think about, I'm, I'm one of those people that if I can get there two seconds before I would going a different way, that makes me happy. You know, a little sense of joy. Not what the joy is talking about here, but a little sense of joy. Like, you know, I get there faster. If I would just listen to the right way to go, I could get there faster. That would bring me that little bit of joy. But all the more, like if we would follow God's way, it will lead us to joy. Now, we often think that going a different way will lead us to joy. But again, like the verse I just quoted, there's a way that seems right, but what are, where does it end? It does not end in joy. It does not end in peace. It ends in conflict. It ends in chaos. It ends in destruction, what we're told. Our ways are not His ways. So what are we meant to do? We're meant to follow His ways because He knows what will bring us joy. He created us. He knows what will bring us joy. And so we're meant to follow Him. Uh, The next thing it says here, the commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That's interesting. This one says pure, and then the very next uh, phrase, the fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. And so I was looking into those words to try to figure out what, what is the difference between these two? They're very, very similar words. Why is, the, why is the psalmist differentiating from them and using two different words that are very similar? Well, I, I believe that the pure here is a purity as in being innocent or as in having your clothes white. The idea of, of having a sacrifice that is given to God of this lamb that is pure white, that is bright. And I think that's why he ties this one to enlightening the eyes. Uh, some of the translations actually translate it radiant. It's radiantly white because it's so pure, so bright white. And the idea here is that because it is so pure, pure so enlightening, so bright, that it is able to enlighten us at well, as well. It gives off light to us that makes our path visible makes our ability to see rightly in life. Again, if we understand sin correctly, we understand that sin is something that blinds us, something that causes us not to see correctly. It distorts our view of ourselves and of the world around us. And many of us have probably felt that as we have sought to live out our sin and saw relationships get messed with because we're distorted. Our view is just, we can't see. But what does he say here? That, that the Lord's words that are given to us, these commandments that are given to us, are pure, they are bright, they are able to allow us to see well and see correctly, to remove that distortion, to remove that blindness. This is a gift of God to us through special revelation. And then he goes on to say, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Here, this word um, can be connected to being ceremonially pure or being holy. And that makes us understand to some degree why he would say then it's enduring forever because corrupt things decay. And, and one day Jesus is going to come and wipe away all corrupt things. That sin is going to be removed from his, his presence and be cast into the lake of fire and his His new kingdom, creation will come and it will be clean, ceremonially pure, and His Word will remain. God's Word is so pure that there is no change that can occur in it for the better. Nothing can be changed in God's Word to make it better. It is as ceremonially pure and holy as it possibly can be. Be. And in fact, no change for the better is possible. So therefore, we are not to change God's word to suit our fancy or to fit our current culture. We are meant to affirm what God has given to us because it is what endures forever. And we come back to the idea again that this is a sure foundation upon which to build our lives. And here is where he begins to break his parallelism. He makes this next affirmation of God's word like he has done. And yet it's much 
much longer than, than, than the first few. The rules of the Lord are true and altogether righteous. And then we are left without the comma that says, therefore, we need to, it's going to do this for us. It's going to, you know, as we've seen already, it endures forever or it enlightens the eyes or it rejoices the heart. He kind of leaves that off and he's going to come back to it in a minute. And as he breaks off, he, he responds with this statement on delight. On delight in God's word, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Again, this, this is written in such a way to really highlight that section. That verse is meant to stand out. It jumps out at us if we're able to all read Hebrew and see uh, the, the poetry, po- poetic form of it. It would jump out of us at, at us. And then he goes on to give his last two applications of God's word, how God's word works. So I'll come back to verse 10, but let's, let's do these. So um, the end of verse 9, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. That they are always producing what is right, is what he's trying to say here. They're always producing what is right. Therefore, verse 11, moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. It's two sides of the same coin. What he's saying here is because the Word of God always produces what is right, first of all, know that disobedience will be punished. These should warn God's servants that disobedience will be punished. In fact, we, we read this in Hebrews that God is a good father who disciplines his children for their good. And if we never experience God's discipline, then it may very well be that we are illegitimate children. We are claiming to be children of God, but we're not. Why? Because God's word always produces what is right. And one of the things he does, it warns us that discipline is, or dis- disobedience is punished. It is. You can't go through Scripture and not see this. And yet... More than that, we see in keeping them, there is great reward. That obedience is rewarded. Now, he's not trying to say here that if you disobey, you lose your salvation. He's talking to covenant people. He's talking to the people of God. And he's saying that God, as your father, your eternity has already been affirmed because God has sent his son, you've trusted in him, your faith has been counted for righteousness, but God as your father demands things of his children, and to disobey him means he will punish, because he's a good father. But also, he is saying this, and he ends with this, which makes it more, uh, 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 he's emphasizing it, because it's at the end, that he also rewards those who obey, who keep them, God is a great Father who as you follow Him and as you obey Him and as you live under His care, He gives rewards, but not just rewards, great rewards. He's got glorious rewards in store for His obedient children. He looks and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. I mean, this is the joy of the God of creation whose sky proclaims his handiwork. This is the God that we get to enter into the joy of. There's great rewards. Now, the Bible talks about a lot of different rewards, but obviously the greatest one is that we have been invited in to delight in him. We have the opportunity as we delight in his word, as we seek to live it out, we are able to delight in him. Which leads us back to verse 10. God's word, David is saying here, is better than the greatest of pleasures. Here's a king who's experienced his far, fair share in gold. He, he has it in large quantities and he understands the value of gold both for his kingdom and both for his own pleasures and his own desires more gold he has the bigger palace he can have the greater things he can have he understands all this i think many of us understand that as well 
Maybe we don't own a lot of gold, but we know that money does get us things. And we often are working hard for money so that we might have certain things. All the things you can think of. Imagine you just won that however million dollars a pass every time on 80s up there. On the, imagine you just won that and you could buy anything you want. The pleasures that gold can bring. And David is saying, having experienced much of it, God's word is better. Here's the testimony of an eyewitness. We can go to Ecclesiastes and look at Solomon who writes there, I believe, affirming God is better. He is. He is better. And our delight in him is rooted in the fact that he has spoken to us, that we might know him. And we delight in this word because we delight in him. But not only that, he goes on to say it's sweeter also than honey. And I get this. I'm a food guy. Well, not really. I'm an, I'm an eat guy. <laughs> I like to eat. I get how much pleasure food can bring when you eat it. I don't know what's up with these people who just want to look at it or just make it. I'll make it if I could eat it. <laughs> Problem is, what I make doesn't always taste good. Um, but I mean, he's talking about the, the greatest of pleasure that they experienced at that time when it came to, to satisfying his body's desires. So, in fact, we can understand that this goes beyond just the eating of food, but the pleasure that is brought to the body. And there's a lot of things in this world that promises pleasure to our bodies. Maybe we just want to look younger. The pleasure of our body being pulled tightly. Um, maybe we just want to taste the things this world has to offer. Maybe it's, it's sensual or sexual things that we think will make us happy. What David is saying here is that the word of God is better than all of those. The delight that it brings is far, far greater than anything that these can offer. And the idea is that the delight in special revelation goes far beyond the delight found in general revelation. But both bring delight in our God. But in David's mind, one is far greater than the other because one brings us into relationship with that God. One allows us to know that God for who he truly is and to therefore be informed about what nature and what creation tells us about God. Ultimately, the goal of the psalmist in verse 14 is that he might be acceptable in God's sight. And I believe here he's saying, am I pursuing God's delight? Because his delight is my delight. When we get to that point, when what delights him is what delights us because he's delighted. And therefore, I'm, I'm delighted. Oh, let me pursue what is acceptable in your sight because I want to find my delight in you being delighted. I want to serve you in such a way that as you look down on me, you say, that is my blessed son who, is, who loves me and delights in me. And I look up to you and say, yes, you are delighted in my life. I am delighted. I mean, that's where we, we want to be. That's what we're meant to pursue. That's what David's desire here is that all this revelation revealed to us is God's loving grace to us to enable us to delight him and be delighted by him. I mean, how gracious is God to reveal this to us, to allow us to do this? God's revelation enables us to live, to delight God, and therefore gain our own delight in Him. How loving it is. So I would suggest an application. First of all, give yourself to God's Word. Know God through it. Know that there are commands in God's word that are there to bring you joy. To bring you delight. Know that there is a God here communicating 
to you that knows what will bring you the greatest joy, and he's, he's giving it to you. So give yourself to God's Word. And secondly, as you give yourself to God's Word, give yourself to God's glory in His creation. Don't miss what He's doing. I, I get dreading this snow that's coming. But at the same time, this is what God's created. And let us, let us not be ungracious for whatever God's hand brings, but rather delight in Him through it. Uh, let us see all that God's created. Let us see the people that you're in conflict with. As God's creation meant to have you delight in Him. I, I, um, it reminds me of G.K. Chesterton in his book, Orthodoxy, where he talks about people's noses. And he's like, yeah, there's people that you know, can be bothersome and whatever, but he's just amazed by all the different noses God chose to create. And he just rejoices in every person's nose. <laughs> That's the kind of delight I want to have in God's creation. That I can look at the way that He designed each and every one of us in different ways. Different purposes, different reasons. And not just our physical aspects, but our, our other aspects as well. You know, God graciously has not made us all exactly the same personality. And I know that sometimes you may feel, wow, that's really grating. But on another side, that allows for various gifts in God's church to do various things and pursue various means. We don't all serve in the same way, and that's good because, because there's a lot of different things that need to happen. And there's a lot of different people that need to speak into my life and a lot of different people that need to speak into your life, and you need all that. Rejoice, delight in God's creation as you delight in God who has spoken to you, presented himself to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these truths from your word. We thank you for the wisdom that you have placed in them and the wisdom that you have given David to write them, the wisdom that you gave those who collected these psalms to put them here, the wisdom of putting it in this exact position so that it's preached on this Sunday. Lord, you are wise beyond our understanding. You are wise beyond our comprehension. And Lord, let us not miss your glory in all of it. Lord, as we close now, let us sing your praises. As we close now, let us worship the God who has revealed himself to us because without it, we would be eternally lost. Let us revel in your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.